Pulse Audio Podcast Network. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn 50 years of Roe versus Wade is devastating. If not more than devastating. Millions of people are losing immediate access to safe abortions, and low-income individuals and the BIPOC community will be disproportionately affected. However, this is not a time to grieve. This is a time to rise and fight for our inalienable human rights. Our rights to control our bodies, to decide whether and when to bring life into the world, to determine our futures, and our lives are all at stake. To support safe, accessible health care for people across the country, we have created new pro-choice merch designs that are on sale in our shop now. And throughout the month of July, 100% of the proceeds for these designs will be donated to the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is an existing, well-established nonprofit that has the infrastructure to make a national impact. If you want to donate directly to them, you can also visit them at abortionfunds.org. Excuse me. Okay, dot com, dot org. Yeah. <sighs> it'll, it'll come up in the search. But yeah, um, I don't know about y'all, but I'm angry. I'm angry too. I'm fucking livid. And I, I think part of it that's really distressing is I'm like, I'm not even fucking surprised anymore. Like we all, we all knew that this was coming. It was one of those, the second that I heard it was up for a vote. I was like, well, there goes that. Even, even back when they were trying to get all those, um, abortion bans passed in the States. I remember reading an article that was saying, yeah, it's not, the point is not to get them to be passed. The point is to get the case to the Supreme court. And I was like, shit. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I have never more felt the whole, like, fuck the patriarchy. I like the stuff that I see that it's like, if you don't have a uterus, why are you deciding? Yeah. And actually one of our designs is no uterus, no opinion. Right. And we, we also want to acknowledge, you know, this is not just a women's rights issue. This is an American rights issue. This is a human rights issue. Not only women get abortions, anyone with a uterus, anyone who can get pregnant is at risk. And there are farther reaching consequences than even just that. Mm-hmm. So again, take that anger and use it constructively. Yes. Because there's marches, there's protests, we there's can make effect if it takes another 50 goddamn years. I'm never going to stop screaming about this. Right. Fucking never. They think if they think things are going to go down without a fight, they're very wrong you know what they fucked around and they're gonna find out mm-hmm. 2020 you 2022 excuse me is the year to find out <laughs> so yeah but uh if you are really struggling with the news and what's going on please speak to someone you trust a counselor a therapist there is help there are resources this is not the end right and we're all going to support each other right. to make sure we're all okay. It's not going to be the end. No, absolutely not. So I understand that was kind of a more serious opening than our regular listeners are accustomed to. So if you're if you fear you turned into the wrong podcast, this is supposed to be 
a comedy podcast, not an absurdist dystopian future podcast. Uh, we are whining about herstory, where we whine about women that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have while drinking, at least tonight, a buttload of wine. I'm All Emily. the wine. Ke- I'm Kelly. Ah, I was okay. just going to say Kelly, and then I was like, wait, I should like... You know, say I'm Kelly, not I Kelly. Like Kelly, I Kelly. <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to bring it up again. But yeah, you can uh, you can get those merch designs on our website, whiningaboutherstory.com. Uh, you can also access the merch store from our link tree. And just a quick note to our funerary cult members on Patreon: we did not adjust the prices on the funerary cult store to be ten percent off because again, the point of this is to raise money. For, for charity, the National Network of Abortion Fund. So hopefully, you guys, can, you folks, can forgive me on that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and you know, we're we're just we're running the fundraiser through July. If we feel the need to extend it, we will. But that is right now is the the time. So get in there, and it is just the four new pro pro choice designs. And follow us on social media. You'll see what those are. Um, and, and any other pro choice designs that we come up with during the month we i mean this a lot of this was a flurry of anxiety and a desire to exert control (laughs) over a terrible situation so literally i was texting kelly and i was like i just i feel like you just gotta do something how how does this sound kelly's like fucking go for like go off girl and i'm like good because i've already gone off (laughs) i'm so far off i'll never be on again but yeah i'm so I like that. Yeah, that's, there's some more good merch. So far off, I'll never be on again. But yeah, also, um, be very, very careful. I know there's a lot of advice that's floating around on, you know, if you if you need to have an abortion or you're trying to help someone who needs access, that kind of thing, be incredibly careful. And that's one of the reasons we decided to donate to this, this national nonprofit because they have the existing infrastructure and experience to help people bridge those barriers to healthcare access. Well, and I was also just going to say, be careful who you're donating to. Like we, we did our research on this organization and I'm not saying like everyone's out to scam you, but there are it happens in times of crisis. It happens, and this is a time of crisis. There are mm-hmm. going to be companies that are just looking to take your money. Yeah. We are not them. But yeah, find, you know, find the people you can trust. Hold them close. We are we are safe people to talk to, mm-hmm. and we love you, and we support you. In all of your choices. All of your fucking choices, because you know what? They're your goddamn choices. True story. No glory. You know, oh me used to be a gem. Okay, okay. I think I feel like we can be a Kelly. You look so confused, I Lizzo. Va- oh yeah. Oh me used to be a Gemini, like a threesome, fucking with them every night. I like that. Actually, so I went. I went on a girls trip this last weekend, and we were jamming out so hard to Lizzo. And my one friend is like, "I'm really impressed that you know all the words." And I'm like, "Lizzo is the sound. What I want the soundtrack to my life to be. Oh yeah. 100%. Like I, I want to, uh, like, I want to make Lizzo proud. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like, would Lizzo approve of this decision? Fuck yes, then I'm doing it. <laughs> right. You're like, all right, decision made. All right. Well, as we alluded to at the beginning, we're drinking some wine. Wine. And uh, this is a special gift 
from our friend Drew, who normally doesn't give the wine, but he takes it. He takes the leftover wine that we can't finish because we're responsible adults. Yeah, we are. And it sucks. <laughs> and it's But it doesn't go to waste. Waste not, want not. At Whining About Herstory, we use every part of the wine, every last goddamn drop, and then we turn the bottles into gifts for our co-hosts. Yay. Yay. But yeah, so... He literally just came by one day and was like, this is for your podcast. And I'm like, um, I love Drew. Thanks. So it is a Naughty Vines cap sob, Emily's favorite. <gasps> Drew Bert. Um, it says, observe everyday indulgences with irreverence, flair, and passion. I feel like Three Drew. Lines. It's like a little haiku. I feel like he knew what we needed right. and he gave it to us. He, like, he just sensed it. He's like, these bitches are going to need some fucking wine. And they need this specific wine. Because you know what? We're all a little bit naughty, aren't we? So I've already actually been sipping on this. I know. Because um, you can't put a glass of wine in front of me without me subconsciously reaching for the glass and taking sips. Like Especially I, a cab sub. I took like 10 sips. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> You're like, damn it. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. So we are going to cheers to... Those who fought before us, those fighting now, and those who will fight after us. And fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the goddamn patriarchy. Goddamn. I really like this. We swapped glasses somehow. Oh, shit. I do not know how that happened. Um, yeah. So- I'm guessing they were both right here when I poured them. Well, that's fine. I've, I've been drinking out of this one, so. Emily purposely picked unpugged. And now I like looked and I'm like, okay. Well, okay. I think, so you had the bed pugs mm-hmm. glass and I, I had the I put unpugged. them both in the middle to pour. And I just, and like I said, I subconsciously just reached for the glass of wine and started drinking. Um, I think I need the bed pugs wine. I don't think I need the unpugged energy. Right. I You're think already I need, unpugged. I think so unpugged I'll never be on again. Unpugged? Unpugged? Repugged? Repugged. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I need some some bed pugs energy to even out the unpugged energy that I that is just seeping out of my pores right now. Mm, that sounds fun. All right. Well, Kelly, you are going first today. Yeah. Who are you whining about, my darling? Um, so th- this is uh so originally my husband sent me this one. And then our friend Dakota sent it to us. I fucking love and Dakota. I, was like, I already got this covered. Okay, I just a super quick shout out. And I feel like we talked about this before because yeah. Dakota had messaged us. Dakota is our friend from college and we did not keep in touch. And so she reached out to us on Facebook Messenger and I was like, what MLM bullshit are you selling? Because the only time someone you haven't spoken oh, yeah. to in a They're long like, time. Do you want to buy some Tupperware? The only two times someone who hasn't spoken to you in a long time reaches out to you is one, because they're an MLM salesperson or two, they want to fuck you. There are only maybe two both. Re- maybe both. Maybe they're like a pure romance MLM. Per- I don't know. And they're now like- there's podcast. <laughs> but she was like, "Hey, I just I was listening to the podcast. I love you." Like she was just sharing the love, and I was like, "Oh my god, Dakota!" And she was always just the sweetest little she thing. Was and every now and then, yeah, she'll. I assume she is. No, after college, she turned into a total bitch. I think I made that joke the last time we talked about her. I'm sorry, Dakota. Dakota's like, I'm having this weird sense of deja vu where Emily keeps calling me a bitch. <laughs> right. I call everyone a bitch. It's fine. 
Uh, but yeah, so every now and then she'll like send us a recommendation or, you know, oh, I heard you guys do this and that was really cool. And I just, Dakota, we hear you. We love you. And thank you for your continued listening. But seriously, you you deserve like a special little shout out. Yay. We love you. All right. So Dakota, your husband sent My this to you and then Dakota, 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 sent, Dakota it sent it to you. And then I think I also saw it on Facebook <laughs> or something. I love it. It reminds me of when we first got started because we both saw the same Facebook post about Alam de Gouge. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh shit, that'd be a cool podcast. Right. And then here we are three years later. More, than, more than three years later. Holy crap. We just, okay, our last episode was number 150. 150. I know Buzzsprout was like, I had no congratulations. idea. And I was like, oh. Even though I number them every every week, I had no idea. And I was like, wait, we usually do something for that. But it wasn't around March because we miss episodes because life, which is okay. This is our podcast. We can do what we want. And I was like, oh, sh- that was a good episode. It's fine. It's fine. Every every episode's a winner. Yeah, we'll, we'll say this is our celebratory wine from yes. Drew. Yes. Oh, I love you, Drew. Little Drew Bert. All right. So I am covering Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. <gasps> for a second Alice I thought Roosevelt Longworth for half a second I thought you were saying you were kind of covering Teddy Roosevelt and I was like Kelly we just established we've been doing this for three years <laughs> I think you, you can't <laughs> you can't just fucking say by the way I'm not only covering a man but an incredibly well-known and thoroughly researched man yeah Kelly I know. I'm I excited even know about Teddy this. Roosevelt had a daughter. Like I'm not. He had multiple daughters. Yeah, yeah. He had multiple. I'm just children. surprised I never heard of this daughter. So Ken Burns has a really good series on the Roosevelts that covers Teddy, Franklin D, and Eleanor, and she she she's mentioned in it. I would and, hope so. No, no. Like, but she, that's where I first heard of her. But then I kind of forgot, and so rereading about, I was like. That's right. She was fucking awesome. Yeah, she there's, was there's the a shit. book called like the Roosevelt women. And I'm like, I really want to read that. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the cool thing. Eleanor Roosevelt deservedly gets a lot of attention, but the other Roosevelt women were also like slaying like a bunch of oh, Queens. Yeah. Okay. So Alice Lee Roosevelt was born February 12th, 1884. All right. All right. All right. Um, Just before Lizzie Borden killed her parents. Less than 10 that years that before. is your timeline. You know, you paused and I was like, she's waiting for me to do the math. No, I was trying to remember what your birthday was. <laughs> oh, February 21st? Yeah. When was she born? 12th. Oh, okay. Oh my God. We're like inverted. Yeah. I feel so close to her You're right now. Dyslexic baby twins. I Actually, I was born on February 12th, but the nurse was dyslexic or had dyscalculia and she was mm-hmm. like... And, and then my parents just decided to lie to me for my like, entire sure, life. I'm like, ah, fuck it. It's just like a week and a half. Yeah, it's it's fine. And then my mom gets to say that I was a week late and, you know, hold that over my head yeah. for the rest of my life. You ruined me, Emily. <laughs> this is 1884. She was born in the Roosevelt home um, in Manhattan. Her mother was Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, which that's a beautiful name. Amazing name. So she was named after her mother. So yes. She's Alice. Her mother was Alice. Uh, and her mom was actually a Boston banking heiress. And Ooh. then her dad was obviously Teddy Roosevelt. I yeah. feel like I don't need to like explain he, who he is. If you don't know who he is, just this I mean. This is our non-American listeners might not. Just watch Night at the Museum. He's played he, by Robin Williams. That said, um, That's all you need to know. and carry a big stick. Yes. That was him, right? Yeah. Also, he's where we get the teddy bear from because he was... Yep. No, he was a very well-known hunter. Like he, he traveled all over the world killing all manner of animals. And there right. was a story that he spared this little bear cub 
And it's it's a myth, you know, no one knows if it's true. But it's the like story, Washington and the apple. Yeah, but the story got around and everyone thought it was like, oh my God, Teddy Roosevelt, who kills literally every animal, spare this little cub. And that's where we get teddy bears from. And I'm like, Teddy Roosevelt didn't hesitate to kill anything. That dude was... <laughs> yeah, there's no way. And I mean, he did donate like a lot of the animals like to museums and things. He wasn't just slaying to slay. It was, you know... He also gave us our national parks. Slay queen. Slay king. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I don't know why that that's what that's what popped into my head. Slay on slay all slay. Okay. Um, okay. So unfortunately, two days after her birth, in the very same house she was born in, her mother died of undiagnosed kidney failure. And eleven hours prior to her mother dying, her grandmother, Teddy's mom, Martha Stewart Bullock, also died. Of typhoid fever. Shut the fuck up. So there was one birth and then a whole bunch of death in the house. I don't I think don't, that's I don't equivalent think the, exchange. I don't think the grandma was in the house, but she also yeah. died that like two days after. But I, uh, I know Alice Teddy, I know Theodore Roosevelt was like, he was really in love with his wife. And so I know that death hit him really hard. So the idea that he lost the love of his life Let me tell and well, I'm just saying like. He's he's feeling he's got a lot of feelings. Oh yeah, he's hurting. Uh, Teddy was rendered so distraught by losing Alice, his wife, um, that he couldn't bear to even think about her. He almost never spoke of her again. Would not allow anyone to mention her in his presence, and even would omit Alice from her bi- from his autobiography. So, he gets remarried, so you might be thinking of his second wife. I'm I'm not, but I'm just imagining like writing your biography, omitting your wife, and be like, and then this baby just showed up out of nowhere. Um, I don't know. Therefore, his daughter, who was named after his wife, was also ref- was called Baby Lee instead of by her first oh. name, and she would actually continue this practice later in life, often pretending to be called Mrs. L rather than Alice. Yeah. I, I feel like I would also have some weird feelings about having been born, my mother immediately dying, and sharing her name. Like she didn't die in childbirth. That'd be an even more weird I feelings. mean, wasn't it because of it? Like you No, said, undiagnosed kidney failure. But was it f- because of the childbirth? They don't know. I feel like that's not a coincidence. <laughs> I don't know if you can get kidney failure from childbirth. I suppose maybe if she had like uncontrolled bleeding or something. Or um, sepsis. Yeah. Some kind. There's a bunch of weird Um, shit. So seeking solace and not being a great father, Teddy retreated from his life in New York and headed west where he spent the next two years traveling around the west and living on his ranch in North Dakota. He did not bring Alice with him. Nope. Um, he left his infant daughter in the care of his sister, Anna, who was also known as Bammy or Bai. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Like, I, B-Y-E is her nickname, which I love. <laughs> Bye. Um, and, but Teddy's, Roosevelt, or Teddy's letters to his sister do show concern for his daughter and that he was thinking about her. In fact, later that year after she was born, he wrote, quote, I hope Moosekins is very cunning and I shall love her dearly. Moosey I know. I'm like, that's a cute nickname. Only Teddy Roosevelt would or call. Or Mouseykins. Oh, Ma- sorry. I was which is say. still adorable. Well, I was just going to say, only Theodore Roosevelt would nickname his daughter after a moose. Right. Also a mouse. I mean. Both. Animals. Um, <laughs> maybe she went from Mouseykins when she was little to like growing into Moosekins yep. as she got taller. Um, Dad, I'm all grown up now. You can't keep calling me Mouseykins. Fine, Moosekins. Fuck. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's better or worse. Worse. <laughs> um, so Aunt Bai had a huge influence on young Alice, obviously. <laughs> um, and Alice would go on to speak her, of her admir- admir- admiringly. Why did I leave that word in there? Quote, <laughs> quote, if Auntie Bai had been a man, she would have been president. End quote. Aw, that sucks that that was what excluded her from that potential role in this country. Right. So just to give a little, um, like, thing of what Alice was doing. So it wasn't that, like, Bai came to live in, like, Teddy's house. Teddy actually sent her to um, Aunt Bai's house, which was still in mm-hmm. Manhattan. But Aunt Bai was a very, like, bookish. So she had, like, a lot of books. And, like, so she was very intelligent, obviously. Like, and so she, yeah, she just took in Alice under her wing and just treated her like her own um, until Theodore married or until Teddy married again. I also love that we're calling him Teddy. Like we're close personal friends. Oh, Teddy. It's like how we always call our women by first names. Yes. Um, So when Teddy decided to return and be a dad, (laughs) uh, he returned to marry his high school sweetheart, Edith Caro. Um, And after they married, then he would take Alice back. Because he had because another he needs, person who could actually... Because he needs a woman to raise her. I was going to say, because now he's acquired a female to do the child rearing. Yeah, exactly. Which he is incapable of doing because of depression and his penis. Yeah, right. Um, so through this marriage, Alice would um, come to have five half-siblings. Theodore the Third, Kermit, Ethel, Archie, and Quentin. Great names. Right. All great I like names. Kermit. Yeah, that one. <laughs> you know, that one stands out. That's um, uh, Kermit special. <laughs> and just as a side note, Teddy and Edith would remain married until he died. Mm-hmm. So, which nineteen nineteen? So it's only like thirty years later, but still. <laughs> um, so during much of Alice's childhood, Aunt By um, ended up being kind of a re- remote figure because you know, like, unfortunately, back then it was very like household centered. Yeah. Like, so if the person didn't live in the household, you didn't see them a lot. And Aunt Vi would eventually get married and move to London and then come back. Um, And the reason I say she would come back is because Alice had a lot of issues with her mother and stepfather, or her father and stepmother, <laughs> Jesus. Um, And Aunt Vi really provided her with structure and stability and a place to go when she needed it. Yeah. Um, And later in life, she remarked on her aunt, quote, there is always someone in every family who keeps it together. And in ours, it was Auntie Vi. I want to be that person in my family, but I'm only a family of like three people. Right. So to speak briefly of Edith, um, from what people write about Edith, Edith was very jealous of... um, Alice's mother, Alice. It was the woman she could literally never compete exactly. against. How do you and compete against unfor- the ghost? Unfortunately, she took out a lot of the insecurities and frustrations on Alice. God. Um, and but and that created a lot of tensions in the relationship between Alice and Edith, um, who said about Alice's mother that she was beautiful but insipid and childlike, and that if she had um lived she would have bored Theodore to death like that's that's what Edith told young Alice so she's a Disney villain she's the evil stepmother that's right? fucking awful also if you feel like you're in competition with the with the you know your husband's dead wife 
You know how to, you know how to really elevate your sense of self? Be a good goddamn mother and partner. Right. Especially to the child that you have no blood relation to, you bitch. Right. Um, unfortunately, Teddy never really stepped in to like curb any of this resentment. And he actually ended up growing up, up quite a bit distant from his daughter as well. And at this time, you know, Alice is growing into a young lady and she's starting to resent her father's refusal to call her by her name. Um, she also felt like Teddy um, preferred her half siblings over her. Basically, there's like a whole bunch of stuff. There's a lot of tension and, uh, well, tension and then limited attention from her father. And this is this is creating a, a young woman who's really independent, outgoing. And she's also actually really self-confident. Like, it could have gone to yeah. one of two ways. She could have just been like... No confidence at all, but she went the other way. She's, yeah, she knows her worth. She's not. She's not desperate for his approval. She's like, well, I'm not going to get it. So fuck you. Yeah. So actually, at one point when um, Teddy was governor of New York, he and Edith proposed that Alice go to a conservative school for girls in New York, like mm-hmm. kind of a finishing school. And Alice wrote, "Quote: If you send me, I will hu- humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you, and I t- I tell you, I will." So uh, Teddy relented and was like, <laughs> um, all right. And Edith was very upset by that. Like, cause she was like, no, like we, I want this girl out of my hair kind of yeah. a thing. And so she would tell her friends, she would go out and gossip quote. She had the habit of running the streets uncontrolled with every boy in town. So like she was, and now whether she's, it's true or now not. Now she's slut shaming exactly. her stepdaughter. And so in the end, Alice ended up going back to live with Aunt Bye. I, I was going to say, I don't know where they're trying to send her off to a school because her aunt seems very happy to have her. She right. seems happy there. If you really just do not want to deal with your they child. Did, exactly. They just didn't just, want her around. Okay. Okay. We, we we all know I'm a bad dad. We all know I'm ter- your, your stepmother is a bitch. Go chill with your aunt. You cool with that? You cool with that? Bye. We good? Okay. Right. And now we never have to talk again. In later years, Alice would eventually express some sort of admiration for her stepmother. She said that she had a good sense of humor and did did say that they shared similar literary tastes. In one of her autobiographies, Alice actually said of Edith, quote, that I was the child of another marriage was a simple fact and made a situation that had to be coped with, and mother, meaning Edith, Mm -hmm. coped with it with a fairness and charm and intelligence, which she has to a greater degree than anyone else I know. So, like, they had their issues, but she still, like, respected her. She could have been more of a bitch. Exactly. So, following the 1901 assassination of President William McKinley, who almost no one knows who that is, (laughs) he's one of those presidents that no one ever talks about, because nothing other than him being assassinated. Yeah. Not a ton happened during his presidency. Yeah, and then everything it, happened him, after his presidency. Him and William Harry Henry, William Henry Harrison, yeah, are very are forgetful because William Henry Harrison he died like less than a month in office because he got a cold or something. Yeah, he didn't, like, he didn't like wear his top no, hat or it was whatever. Real weird. Yeah, so William McKinley got assassinated, and um, Theodore Roosevelt was his BP. vice president. Yep, <laughs> um, and. At first, Alice was, like, super excited. She was like, great, I'm, you know, a first daughter. This is going to be great. Like, we're going to go live in the White House. And Alice became a celebrity and a fashion icon overnight at age 17. That would be a lot of pressure. Right. That would be incredibly stressful to me. So in 1902, so 
um, within a year of her father taking office, she had her social debut. She turned 18. Um, and she wore a gown of this, like, really, really light, like, aqua turquoise color, which would become known as Alice Blue. The lovely. Uh, I kind of, I didn't look it up, but I kind of wonder if it's that light blue that, like, Alice in Wonderland wears because she wears that oh, really light blue yeah. gown. So I wonder if that's Alice Blue, but I don't know. I didn't look it up. But this obviously sparked a huge trend in women's clothing and a song called the Alice Blue Gown. So like, oh, so not I'm blue. No, da dee da da. Too new, Emily. Um, <laughs> so obviously she became like the center of attention in this in social circles because of her father's presidency. And initially, she really like thrived on that attention, but the restrictions that that attention placed on her kind of grated on her nerves. She wasn't one to listen to restrictions. Yeah. Um, It's not only that is everyone is looking, but now everyone is also judging you. Everyone cares. Right. And she actually blamed her father for the fact of the restrictions. And this is what she said of her own father later. Quote, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral and the baby at every christening. So basically, he's like, he needs to be the center of attention. I that I 100% believe right? that. I oh, feel like, like everything yeah. Alice has said has just been, like, the straight truth. Like, mm-hmm. she is spilling the purest of tea. Um, So she was super outspoken. And obviously, like, she had a lot of antics, was what they would call it. Like, she did what she wanted. And then, yeah. you know, and the, the public actually adored her, which is why I'm like, I'm surprised I've never heard of her before. And they actually nicknamed her Princess Alice. Oh, my God. So she was known to be a rule breaker in an era where what most women was still like conforming to almost Victorian style social norms. In fact, her popularity went so far to bring her into other countries. And the Journal des Debates in Paris um, actually noted they took they took track of like what Alice did in 15 months and apparently in 15 months she attended 407 dinners, 350 balls and over 300 parties. I'm like Jesus Christ woman. You know, on my way over here I was thinking about how busy I am and now I feel like I do nothing. A fucking wimp. Right? <laughs> um one paper actually alleged that she had a had a scandalously stripped down to her lingerie and had a drunken orgy in Rhode Island and danced on a tabletop. Eventually, that story was proven false. Like, well, here's the other thing. Someone was just making shit up. Here's the other thing. Lingerie back then was like a full pantsuit, so that's not that sexy. Oh, my God. That comes up a little <laughs> later. Not lingerie, but it comes around to under things of the past. We'll okay. get there. Um so things that she did do that the public and the newspapers took note of, she smoked cigarettes in public, <gasps> would ride in cars with men. Fucking <gasps> hot. She'd stay out late partying. She kept a pet snake named Emily Spinach. <laughs> the fuck up. Um, so Emily was her spinster aunt and then Spinach because the snake was green. <gasps> That's um, my new bar name. Yeah. But I'm not gonna be like, my name's Emily. It's, my name's Emily Spinach. Yeah, no, like, fuck you. You get my full name. <laughs> oh and my what's, God. What's funny is there are stories of both like her keeping it in the White House or her just keeping it in her purse when she went out. Oh my God. And I Paris like to Hilton believe both. Stole that from her and made it less she cool did also, with a dog. She did also have like a, a long haired chihuahua, which if you, <gasps> there's a few pictures of her. And then she was um, gifted by, like, the Chinese empress at the time, a Pekingese. <gasps> oh, my um, God. That, that's later, but I just thought I'd mention that. Um, 
So the papers were there when she um, was the first woman to drive a car or to drive. Yeah, to drive a car the 45 miles from Newport to Boston. So she was the first woman to do that. I hope Um, she was revving the engine. Oh, no. And then uh, she was known to be someone that would just race around in the car up and down the streets of Washington. Um, And like I said, she smoked in public. And one of the places she liked to smoke was on the roof of the White House. Um, okay. She would chew gum in public, which was apparently a huge, huge no-no. She played poker, wore pants. Shocking. <laughs> Did she have a permit for those pants? Right. And would often sleep till noon. Shocking. Uh, okay. Um, the more you're describing her, the more I'm like, same. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, so in addition to keeping Emily Spinach in her purse, it is also said that she kept a dagger and a copy of the Constitution in her purse. Yeah. I love Like this her. woman, like I'm like, I just want to go back to this time and be your best friend. I like, I just want to hug her right? and just be like, thank you for being you so I could be me. Right. Like, thank you, Alice, for giving exactly. me that gift. Her father would often lament of on her shenanigans and would complain that um she would show up in she would show up in newspapers before they would even like talk about the real news. That's how oh he God. said it. Um, you mean him? Yeah. Because he needs to be the corpse and at the funeral. Supposedly, she even went so far as to phone in tips about where she was going to be so that she could receive cash rewards for the information. Dude. Um, I love her. Um, and I, she she quoted in her... I know, right? Doesn't I have a new historical fantastic? crush. Like, I don't know if I want to be her or be inside her or have her inside me. Or there needs be to be best friend. Everything. I, I need, everything all at once. I need so much context. Right? Um, <laughs> Emotional and physical. La- later in life in her biography, she would write about her te- teenhood as, quote, I must admit a sense of mischief does get hold of me from time to time. Jesus Christ. I'm a hedonist and I have an appetite for being entertained. I love like that is the classiest way to be like I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want because I want to do it I'm gonna fuck shit up because I can I love no I I love that too and I also love whenever anyone describes any sense of debauchery or even anything like tragic in the past it always sounds like like, that sounds less intense and almost charming right (laughs) um okay so in 1905 when her dad was like full swing in office um Alice along with William Howard Taft, who was uh, a fat president. Yeah, but he wasn't president yet. He was uh, stuck in a bathtub. (laughs) He was Teddy Roosevelt's secretary of war. So it was Alice Taft and other American delegates. And they went to tour Asia. So they went to Japan, Hawaii. I don't like it's funny because it was like the Asian tour. And I'm like, why why is Hawaii? But I guess they were owned by Japan for quite a while. Well, and, you know, they, they have a Polynesian. Yeah. So they went History to, and culture. So. They, throughout the trip, they went to Japan, Hawaii, China, the Philippines, and Korea. So this was, at the time, as of 1905, that was the, the biggest diplomatic mission that the U.S. had done. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the Secretary of War and Alice, it contained 23 congressmen, seven senators, and various other diplomats, officials, and businessmen. So like there was this whole it's it's kind of like how, you know, like the they always send like someone from the royal family and like an entourage to go do shit. This yeah. is like our version of that. Yeah. Um 
Except so, our person was chosen by uh, democracy right? instead of being pushed out of the a special someone's vijay. Exactly. Um, so apparently during the cruise, one of the most scandalous things that happened, this was on the way to Japan, Alice apparently jumped in the ship's swimming pool, fully clothed, and then coaxed one of the congressmen, uh, William Cochran, to join her. Of course, people put a romantic spin on it later um, and would say that this it that it was Nicholas Longworth who Alice would go on to marry. Like, so they were like, oh, this is how they fell in love. They jumped into a pool together. I love um, that they recast Cochran in his own story. It's like, yeah, but you're we don't like seeing you two together. We're going right? to recast you as this hotter dude. Probably because he was. <laughs> Significant, like William Cochran was significantly older. No, than I know, but it's like it, it's like when they do right. when they do uh, historical dramas for movies. It's like, hey, I know that this person was kind of gross, but what if they were hot? Right. What if they were hot and then and they young. were white? Um, <laughs> so years later, when Alice was actually actually like in her eighties, Bobby Kennedy would like kind of like chide her about it and be like, Alice, you shouldn't have done that. Bobby Kennedy, shut your mouth. (laughs) And like, oh, that was so outrageous. And Alice, who's, like I said, in her 80s when Bobby Kennedy was chiding her for it, Alice replied, you know, it would have been more outrageous if I removed my clothes because, and this is in her autobiography, Alice talks about how at the time, there was little difference between a woman being fully clothed and being in a swimsuit. Exactly. Yeah, it's like... Um, She's like, it would have th- only been scandalous if I actually took my clothes off. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Do, do you not understand what women's fashion was like and how right. all-consuming and covering it was? Sorry, I also know I, I just threw some shade at Bobby Kennedy. No, like, it's super funny. Cool, cool guy, but it's like... The Kennedy family comes up again. Obvi- it's like, Bobby, like, Bobby, I love you, chill. buddy. But you, no one tells Alice fucking Roosevelt right, with like her, her little d- Emily Spinach what she should and should not like, do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after returning to Washington from the travels, Alice would become engaged to Nicholas Longworth, Longworth the Third. Um, Nicholas Longsword, what? And he uh, was actually on this trip because he was um, a uh, U.S. House of Representatives member, Republican from Ohio. Uh, he would actually eventually go on to become, like, Speaker of the House. So, like, he did some shit. It was a big deal. But, you know. BFD. That's a side note. Um, so, the two obviously had traveled in very similar social circles for quite a number of years, basically, as long as her father had been in politics. Um, but it was kind of during that cruise to Asia that they're, you know, that they had a little more alone time and their relationship really, like, solidified. Because... Um, Nicholas was from a prominent Ohio family, even though he was 14 years her uh, senior and had a reputation for being a playboy. It was still a mostly approved marriage. You know what I mean? Not like approved, but like, you know, most people were like, oh, no, it's okay. Like they're in the same social circle. It's fine that he's a little older. Maybe it was kind of the maybe he'll like calm her down a little. Or maybe she'll like rein him in. Exactly. Like, oh, oh, these two wild spirits are going to get together and just immediately cool off. Exactly. Also, I'm sure they were very excited for Alice to like have a husband. They're like, like, leave. Settle down. Um, Like be someone else's problem. Their wedding would take place in February 1906 and was obviously the social event of the season. Um, It was attended by more than a thousand people. I can't even imagine. I like cut my wedding off at like 250. I was like, that's too many people. Even, I mean, and this is just because I hate everyone, but 250, I'm like, do I even know 250 I mean, that's only because Justin has like 
a million cousins. Not he that has I don't a massive love you. family. I love, I love you, but... But no, he has a big-ass family. Exactly. So it's attended by more than a thousand people, and thousands more would gather outside just hoping to see Alice. She wore a light blue wedding dress. Love her. Which, And uh, at at her wedding reception, she borrowed a sword, a sword, a sword from a military aide that was attending it. And that's how they cut their cake. She was just like, guys, I need your sword. Okay. Okay. My friend, Jory, what's up, Jory, friend of the podcast. She just went to a wedding and the couple are these big massive nerds who got married in a museum which I was like okay I now have a dream wedding like I've never really thought about it and now I have my dream right but they actually cut their cake with a sword like getting married at the renaissance festival or something and cutting with a sword or something that'd be cool but in their program they actually had someone I I, they had someone who either supplied the sword or like some chain mail so they like thanked them yeah they called them the the armorer like the the i want to be that person i know well get me a sword all right i will all right let's do this actually the other day marissa one of our patrons and friend um love you marissa she she was like, I, I need to go battle anxiety and we have a wooden sword. So I took out the wooden sword and I took a picture and I'm like, I'm ready to help. Oh my God, that's adorable. I'm a huge nerd. Anyways, so immediately after Alice and, um, what did I say his name? It's Nicholas, uh, got married. They would leave on a honeymoon, which would include going to Cuba, a visit to his family in Cincinnati. They would then go to England and have dinner with at King Edward the Seventh. Yep, Seventh. I was one like, of one of the Edwards. The one one. Can seven. we even tell them apart at this point? So, what they? It's funny because the way they like worded it in like the things I read was they went to the continent. They went to Europe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they went and they traveled throughout Europe. Heavy. Yeah. So they had dinner with King Edward, Kaiser Wilhelm, the second of Germany. George, oh no. Georges yeah. <laughs> Clementu, Whitelaw Reed, and a bunch of like other like big popular names. Uh, when they returned home, they would buy a house in Washington, DC, which is now the headquarters of the Washington Legal Foundation, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Um, so, you know, they kind of lived quietly for a while. And then in 1908, Alice decided, you know, I'm bored. And she went to the the Capitol's gallery, which is like where the House of uh, Representatives hangs out. So that's like where her husband was. And she decided she was going to be a school child. And place a tack upon the chair, as she said it, of an unknown but middle-aged and dignified gentleman. She I could, knew. I could not find the name of who it was. Alice knows his um, name. <laughs> so what she said is, upon encountering the tack, like the burst of a bubble on the fountain, like the bolts from the blue, like the ball from the cannon, the unfortunate fellow leapt up in pain and surprise while Alice casually looked away. <laughs> I I'm like so she was bored so she's fucking, like I'm gonna stab someone in the ass <laughs> I fucking love her I I okay you know how at the beginning I was like what would Lizzo do that. what would Alice also do right? because she is also a completely appropriate choice WWE and spiritual gu- spiritual guide do? well it was funny my my friend's mom kind of saw us off when we went on our girls trip and she's Aww. oh my god Pam I, I heard Katie's mom? No, oh. no, but it, it's Katie's mom. Katie listens to the podcast. She actually, she's like, by the way, I like she your friended, encanto. She friended me the other day. Oh my God. Well, that means you're one of the real Hi, ones. 
But uh, she actually Invite told me, me she liked her Encan- my Encanto. It and was, I was like, it was oh, God, good. you heard that? But uh, we were like, I was like, I love your mom so much. She's always just been the sweetest and right. most badass little lady. Like, she's shorter than me, Aww. I'm pretty sure. She's so tiny. And I was like, the whole theme of this trip is WWPD. What would what Pam, Pam do? do? <laughs> so other things she did when she was bored um, is... Uh, other than, you know, bothering the House of Representatives, she would often interrupt in the Oval Office. Not just to be like, hey, Dad, but she would actually offer, like, political advice, and she'd be like, hey, I think you should do this. So at one point, and this is my favorite, this is why my husband sent her to me. Was it this wasn't Emily Spinach. <laughs> so at one point, the president commented to his friend named Owen Weister, who was also an author, after the third time that Alice interrupted their conversation, the same conversation, um, and Teddy th- threatened to throw her out the window because she kept interrupting. This is what he said to his friend, quote, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. And I love that. <laughs> I also hope she was, she was like spread her arm. She's like, bring it on. She's Dad. like, bitch, throw me <laughs> fucking. At least you're giving me some, you know, parental affection. There, there's actually, you absentee fathering yeah, right? ass. <laughs> there's actually like a specific term. A, a teacher I had when we were in college would say it. There's actually a specific term that means to throw someone out the window. Dis, oh, it's um, defenestrate. Yeah, defenestrate. Yep. It means to throw someone out the window. Anyways, so obviously because she would interrupt, she actually was super interested in politics. Alice was, but obviously like women weren't super welcome in politics no no um and um so alice would kind of step into an unofficial political advisor father which her aunt bammy or by actually kind of filled before but she got ill and so alice was like you know what fine this is my moment um and so she would often like like i said give her father political advice one of the things she warned her father against was actually challenging the renomination of Taft in 1912. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, mm, I don't know if you should do that, dad. Um, but publicly she supported her father and her and his candidacy. Cause you know, like that's going to look pretty shitty if your daughter is like, no. <laughs> well, and there is the, the, the context of that is even though a president could run for two terms, yep. actually, I think at the time there was no limit. There was no limit at the but time. It was, People stepped down traditionally after, after a couple two. of terms, and Roosevelt didn't want to. He wanted to run yep. again. So he ran because he was running for his third term. He would have been, well, he was going to be running for his third term. He's like, I'm not going to break tradition. Yep. Taft, he supported Taft. He wasn't really jiving on what Taft was doing. So then he did run for a third term. Right. He didn't win, though. And it yeah, really, because, it was kind of like a blow he, to his ego. He ran, so in the 1912 presidential election, he ran as kind of like an independent party. It yeah. Was, it was what's known as like the Bull Moose presidential campaign, yes. which is, if you look now, yeah, that's like the symbol for the independent party is the Bull Moose. Because Taft was a Republican. He couldn't yep. very well run as a Republican. So you're like, I'm going to make my right. own fucking thing. So obviously publicly, like I said, Alice supported her father while her husband stayed loyal to Taft. So this is kind of the beginning of tensions in their marriage. Um, obviously, like we said, Taft was running for re-election on the Republican ticket. Um, and during this time... Uh, her husband was also re- 
running for re-election of his House seat mm-hmm. against a Democratic challenger. Um, during this election cycle, Alice actually appeared on stage with her, the man who was running for her father's vice presidency named Hiram Johnson um, in her husband's district. And her husband would end up losing this house election by about 105 votes. And Alice often joked that she was worth at least 100 of them, meaning she was joking that she was the reason that her husband lost his house seat. So I thought it was I thought she was implying that like 100 people voted for you just because you're married to such a cool lady. No, because she went she went with. The, the independent guy. party. Yeah. Okay. And so she's saying of the 105 people that voted against you or that you lost by, at least 100 of those were because of me. And she was kind of proud of it. Damn. Um, I, I got to say that. Like I said, this, this is like the down, the down <laughs> swing of their relationship. Eventually, um, her husband um, would get re-voted in two years later because the House and Senate are every two years, not every mm-hmm. four. So he would lose to the Democrats, but then two years after that, he would win again, and he would actually remain in the House for the rest of his life, like I said, eventually getting to the position of Speaker, which is huge. Yeah. Um, So obviously this kind of left the way uh, several articles I read said it was, it left a permanent chill in their relationship. I'm like, yep, yep, yeah, that just, you know, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Um. And it is it is kind of well known, like several well known sources have reported that um, Alice actually carried on numerous affairs during this relationship. It's hard to tell if they started before or after this like period. Most guess that it was kind of after, and there's a good chance that he also carried on affairs. I was kind of guessing because he was described as such a playboy and right. she's such a little fire starter. I'm like, there's no way. There's right. no way. Um, so, yeah, like I said, several of her biographies, as well as the Roosevelt women, as well as um, one, a time journalist, um, basically said that it was gen- a generally accepted knowledge in D.C. that she kind of slept around. In fact, one of her most prominent affairs was, was with Se- Senator William Bora. And um, after Alice's diaries were opened by historical researchers, Alice's diaries actually indicate that Bora was most likely her daughter's father, not Nicholas. Oh. So Alice had a daughter named Paulina, Paulina Longworth, obviously. Um, And yeah, so she um, was great. (laughs) We'll get more to her later. Like it, it was fun, kind of funny. She was kind of a footnote in her mom's history, and I'm kind of like, I kind of want to look her up. But she, yeah, we'll get to her later. She she's not around long mm-hmm. time. So obviously, Alice was renowned for being very intelligent, but she was also known to be malicious, particularly when she in her humor. Like so, she was making jokes, but she it was very much like the underhanded like. Oh, ha ha. But really, this is like a knife in your back style jokes. So originally they they said that she wanted to name her daughter Deborah, as in Deborah, as in the man that's actually her father. God, (laughs) which I think is great. That is some shade. Um, In fact, uh, according to one close uh, family friend, everybody called Paulina Aurora Bora Alice. Okay, 
which is super clever. That is good that job, is also, Like That is also my fake bar name. What's your Aurora name? Aurora Bora Alice. Oh, Aurora. Oh, it's like Bora Alice. Aurora Bora Alice. And then just wait and see if they get it. And they're like, hey, if you don't want to talk to me, you have to give me a fake name. It's like, no, hey, bitch. you didn't have to walk up to me in the first fucking place. Like, please don't. So here is uh, one of my favorite stories about Alice. In addition to the the fact that her dad was like, dude, do you want me to run the fucking country or do you want me to try and control my daughter? Because it's one or the other. Um, so when it came time for the Roosevelt family to leave the White House, because even though Alice was married, she still like semi lived there. Um Alice would actually bury a voodoo doll of the new first lady, Nellie Taft, in the front yard. Dude, she's such a spooky bitch. When Taft found out they would ban her from the White House, he was the first president to ban her from the White House. He would not be the last. Um, During Woodrow Wilson's presidency, uh, she would also be banned apparently for telling a body joke at Woodrow Wilson's expense. Unfortunately, that joke has been lost to history, which is very, very sad. Okay, I feel like we need someone who is a historian in his, like historical clapbacks. Right. And we need someone who, were, you know how we have the White House photographer who takes pictures of everything? Right. We need... The White House, like, shade collector who's just right. like, oh, that was some saucy exactly. shit right there. Just, like, in the corner. <laughs> like, mm, I saw that. That was that was salty. Mm. So, although Alice supported her father's independent run and her husband-ish, who was a Republican senator, Alice was actually a hardline Democrat. And um, while she was originally... Uh, in the Republicans when she was young, she very much like kind of switched it as she got older. She did support her half brother, Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. when he ran for governor in 1924. Um, but that was kind of the extent of her relationship with the Republican Party at that time. During the Great Depression, uh, she, like many other Americans, found obviously herself a little a little more destitute during this time she would appear in tobacco advertisements to earn money for her daughter she would also publish her first autobiography crowded hours this book sold really well even though her dad wasn't president anymore and she received rave reviews so like people still loved her um when franklin roosevelt ran for president alice publicly opposed his candidacy she was like, no. <laughs> like that that's the long and short of it. So like I'm I'm sorry, dog. I just I'm so like, sorry. I, I gotta give you a no. We share a last name, but But you mm. won't even use my first name, so Right. Um so she would write to the ladies' home journal, um, and she would say about FDR, quote, politically his branch of the family and ours have always been in different camps, and the surname is about all we have in, in common. I am Republican. I'm going to vote. So sorry. She was like, I guess what today would be known as a Democrat. Because this was before yeah. the big switch. So she said, I'm Republican. I'm going to vote for Hoover. If I were not a Republican, I would still vote for Mr. Hoover at this time. Oh, shit. Like, she was like, no. Like, yes, we're related, but we're not really related kind yeah. of a thing. I'm I think I'm my like own person. Cousin? I feel like, you know, we, we, we throw a lot of a lot of jokes at the royal family and like all the royals for all being related like it's this giant clusterfuck right. of genetics 
But also, a lot of the super famous and powerful people in the United States are also related. Right. <laughs> we're, we're not that far removed from a genetic clusterfuck. Right. So obviously, as you can tell, um, Alice would use her political um, wit on friend and foe alike. And um, so when uh, a columnist who was also a cousin named Joseph Wright Alsop claimed that there was a grassroots support for public and president candidate Wendell Wilkie, obviously who didn't win, um, who was the Republican hope to defeat FDR in his second campaign. This is 1940. She quoted and said, yeah, the grassroots campaign of 10,000 country clubs. She's like, I don't like FDR, but you can't say that this person is running a grassroots campaign. Yeah. Um, so during, so before she said she was voting for Hoover instead mm-hmm. of FDR in the 1940 campaign, she actually publicly said, quote, I would rather vote for Hitler than vote for FDR for a third term. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Just going to say, Alice, I love everything about you. I right. strongly disagree. She, she also wasn't a big fan of Thomas, um, so Franklin was her cousin. So Franklin, yeah, Franklin Roosevelt, I think actually did run, did was president for three terms, and then he died. And then he died. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, he did. So during his third run for president, so this is nineteen forty four. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as Alice didn't like FDR, she actually was real mean to Thomas Dewey, who was his opponent, <laughs> comparing him to the bridegroom on a wedding cake. Um, and that image apparently stuck so well, like it was used in newspapers. And um, apparently Dewey would go on to lose not just that presidential election, but the second the, he ran the following election as well and lost that one as well okay is there something i don't know about so he has like a, a tiny groom on a wedding well, he has like a tiny pencil mustache uh-huh. that's what dewey had and yeah apparently he just looked like a wax figurine on top okay of a wedding i cake. i see it i was like but i mean we don't put those on there because we think they're ugly but no. i get as a they're not it's personification yeah. it's not a compliment so um in these later years, Paulina, so her her daughter, would go on to marry Alexander McCormick Sturm and have her own daughter, Joanna. Unfortunately, her husband would die um, a few years after they got married, and then Paulina herself would die about six years after that from an overdose. Um, and not very long before Paulina's death, she and Alice had actually discussed the care of Joanna in, in such event, and Alice fought and won for custody of her granddaughter and um, would go continue to raise Joanna, which I think is great. Aww. In contrast to Alice's relationship with her daughter, which wasn't fantastic, because, I mean, I guess she was, you know, she was just one of those people that's not, Easy, uh, and I, I honestly kind of blame her dad. You know, she wasn't easy to get close to, but apparently she doted on her granddaughter, and the two were very, very close. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was you know. And someone once said, "quote A notable contributor to Mrs. Longworth, um, Mrs. Longworth's usefulness." So they're talking about Alice. Are the bonds between the twin cables of devotion and healthy respect for each other's tongue? Mrs. L says a friend and has been a wonderful father and mother to Joanna, mostly father. <laughs> I'm like, I like that little like, yeah, clap back. Um, 
So while she was taking care of Joanna, Alice would fall and suffer a broken hip. That's about 1955. Oh, no. She would then the following year be diagnosed with breast cancer. And, oh, fuck. And she would successful, successfully go uh, undergo an, a mastectomy at the time and be declared cancer free. She's a bad bitch. You can't kill her. Right. So <laughs> although she didn't support JFK, she actually became very in in a like enamored kind of like most of the country enamored with the Kennedy family yeah just, they were a very fascinating family they were kind of the closest that we had to the royal family for a hot minute right they were very they were there were a bunch of them they were all in the spotlight they were they're all, all very pretty yeah but um, mm, some of them oh really yeah fucking exactly and I mean they had their background characters I'm looking and, at you Kennedy senior and right. you Chappaquiddick son of a fucking bitch exactly Alice would say that she liked them because quote she learned how amusing and attractive Democrats could be. Oh, my God. Um, she developed an affectionate, although strained, relationship with Bobby Kennedy, <laughs> even though he was significantly younger than her. Wait, like... Like, they were... they were, No, they were literally just friends. No, okay. friend, friendship. Okay. Um, and they... A lot of people say that maybe they would have been more, but he, he was... Bobby Kennedy was known to have, like, notoriously thin skin. He didn't take jokes well, and obviously she... Was the kind of person that would poke fun at people. I was so, going to say, he like tried to insult her and she's like, bitch, don't even try. Bitch is like, I will take you down. <laughs> I've been doing this since like the 18 fucking hundreds. You cannot come right. at me with that, um, with that weak sauce. <laughs> for example of like Bobby Kennedy being thin skinned, particularly around Alice, is when Alice would privately, not even publicly, privately she made fun of him scaling what was named mount kennedy in canada like she made fun of him for it and he was like he like didn't talk to her for like two weeks oh he, my god th that's what being thin-skinned means it's yeah. like he, he was super fucking offended by it oh my he, he, he couldn't he couldn't take it right i i um, have to be able to like brutally insult the person the people i'm around and have them brutally insult me back for the friendship to remain viable right um, one politician she would become really close to friendship again, not relationship, um, was Richard Nixon. <laughs> this actually, this actually happened when he was vice president and they become really close to the point where he was actually a Paul Bear, Paul Bearer and Paulina's funeral. Oh my God. Like they became God. real close. Um, and when he returned to California after losing, the 1960 presidential campaign, they would actually like keep in touch. She would tell him, Hey, your political career isn't over, which it wasn't, but it probably should have been. <laughs> um, and Alice was actually one of the, re one of the people that encouraged Nixon to re-enter po politics and would continue to invite him to her. Like he, she would host salons at her house. I get into it a little uh -huh. bit later. Um, and Nixon would actually uh, return these favors to Alice and he would actually go on to invite her to her, his first formal White House dinner when he got real, like when he got elected and to his daughter's wedding. Wow. Like, so like they were really good friends. It's, it's funny because the Roosevelt's, particularly Teddy, because he was the first Roosevelt president, mm -hmm. they seem like they're from a million years ago. Right? But then the idea that... Alice Roosevelt, Teddy's daughter, was rubbing elbows with yeah, so that the, been the Kennedys the and Nixon. I mean, she would have and... been fairly old. No, I know, but just it, it, it's just kind of like one of those. It feels like an anachronism. She was born in eighteen. 
84. Yeah. And we're talking right now about 1970. So she's like 90. Okay, that's like someone being born in the 1980s and still being yeah. around in 2070-something. Exactly. That also fucks with my mind. <laughs> so unfortunately, cancer found her other breast in God 1970. Damn it. However, she would have another successful mastectomy. So at this point, she has no boobs. That comes up again. You know, I, I love she's like, bitch, you think I'm bothered? Take them. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Right. So after Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1968, um, Alice again supported her friend Richard Nixon in the 68 and 72 re-elections. I'm just going to let that sit there. We we just talked about how much of a dick uh, Dick Nixon was. No, but it's okay. Once... The things about the Watergate scandal came out. Alice did. Alice was like, nope, 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 nope. Like, that is not okay, actually. And she got really mad at him because when Nixon resigned, she quoted or he quoted Theodore Roosevelt's diary. (gasps) The part where he said, quote, only if you've been to the lowest valley, can you know how great it is to be at the highest mountaintop? That is from Theodore Roosevelt's diary. And that... Made Alice so mad that like when you both when you read her diary and like other people that were with her because obviously he made that was like an address to a the public nation. comment. Yeah, she apparently was spitting curses at her TV as she watched him compare his early departure from the White House in face of impeachment to her idealistic father's loss of his wife and her mother. That is what he was writing about. When he said that quote. And so she was so fucking mad. Fuck you, dick. Fuck you. I do. I do also appreciate that when Alice realized he was a creep, she was like, nope, nope, nope. There's no, you're a piece of shit. Like I can actually change my opinion. She's like, we were friends, but you're an asshole. Oh, I Um, would be, oh God, I'd be so fucking pissed. Right. Like you don't get to co-op the death of my fucking mother for your bullshit. Well, her mother and- and her grandmother, because that's what like and they her died. grandmother exactly, and her father's legacy. I know right. she was not it's the biggest fan of her thing. father, but like, there's oh god, I would but be then so also mad. trying to like it's ride kind of one off of, of the things, honor of their name, right? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that it's like you know I can pick on my siblings, but you can't. Yeah, it's like fuck um, you, you you didn't go through the shit I did. You don't get to right. say anything, <laughs> even though she was obviously not on good terms with Nixon anymore. She did remain cordial with Gerald Ford because I mean it really wasn't his fault, and they could never actually prove that he was involved involved in like Watergate. So I don't Whatever. know, Gerald Gerald Ford had kind of like I feel kind of bad for him because yeah, like he had to follow that up. Um, yeah, but then he also pardoned Nixon because he was like, but what's exactly. it going to do he with the country? He shouldn't have done that. And it's like, what's it going to do um, with the country to know that, you know, if you're powerful enough, you can get away with anything. Um, however, she is, there was a really like, they know, a lot of people noted that she was never social with Jimmy Carter, who was the president that followed um, Gerald Ford. Um, and she actually declined to ever meet him. Okay. So, like, people aren't really sure why. They just they just noted that. Yeah. He was not a pop. I don't think he was necessarily a bad president, but he was not popular. Like, at, right. at best, he was ineffective. Right. That being said, the dude is think, ancient, and he's still well, and hitting think, hard with Habitat I for think Humanity. She was, I, think she, I think for Alice, she was just kind of done. 
she was in her eight, like nineties at the time. And I think she's just like, I'm done with politics. Like, you know, I, re- I was close with Nixon and then he fucked me over. So yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay with who followed him, but then I'm just, I'm done. Well, she already, it sounds like she was probably already, she knew of Gerald right. Ford because exactly. she's close with Nixon. I think, yeah, I think you're right. She's like, I got burned. And so, right. I'm and stay so away she's from like, she's like, I'm going to be polite with you because I know you. But yeah. I'm done, you know. Um, Good for her for setting her boundaries right? with future presidents exactly. of the United States. So after having many years of ill health and being real old, um, Alice died on February 20th, 1980. <gasps> which was, my yeah, and eight, eight days after her 96th birthday. Oh my God. Um, it was a combination of pneumonia and other things chronic illnesses kind of a thing uh she is buried in rock creek cemetery in washington dc and she is the longest lived child of a u.s president okay period full stop i want to visit her grave right i want to leave we need to go to washington dc a bundle of spinach at her grave she'll leave a snake (laughs) and a little rubber snake yeah um in the official statement marking her death because jimmy carter was the president at the time President Carter did write, quote, she had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers to Washington wondering which was worse, to be skewered by her wit or to be ignored by her. And this is the president <laughs> that was ignored by her. That's amazing. I like that he's like kind of like doing a nod of the hat that's like, I understand she ignored me, but she was still fucking amazing. I love, I also love that he's like, she has style, she has grace, she'll she fucking punch United you in the States. face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she'll, um, she will, she will spit in your face. So I mentioned that she would invite Nixon to dinners. So one of the things she did um, for six decades, that's 60 years. Jesus Christ. Is she would host a salon. So like basically a place people could gather and chat at her home where views could be exchanged and political deals and non-political deals could be struck. She would invite top scientists, authors, conservationists, diplomats, and politicians of the time. And she wouldn't only stick to like Republicans or Democrats. Mm -hmm. She would literally invite everyone. It was like a political rainbow collective. Right. Um, Also, can I just say, I kind of resent the fact that when famous people get a bunch of like, friends together it's a salon when i do it it's a public nuisance and maybe violating the sound ordinance i don't know it's super fun like um so obviously alice was also well known for her witticisms um one this is this is another she's a lot of favorite quotes so mm-hmm. i have a lot of like her favorite quotes at the end here so one of the things she said about her cousin franklin roosevelt was he was one-thirds mush and two-thirds eleanor Dude, that is a hundred. Okay. I'm like, that is super accurate. I'm just going to say that's so accurate. Cause when you were talking about how she was always talking in Theodore's ear, I was like, that's such a Roosevelt woman thing because Eleanor was always Eleanor talking in FDR's ran, ear. Eleanor basically ran the country. Yeah. Well, and then when I just he, like that one thirds mush and two thirds Eleanor. But then when he executed, was it order nine zero six six? The, the, yeah. the Japanese yeah, internment one, she was like, don't fucking do it, Franklin. Yeah, she was like, don't you're being don't, an idiot. Hey, hey, you son of a bitch. She was pissed. I, I want to say she was like, we're not sleeping together. I know we haven't been for like 10 years and I got my lesbians uh, over here. Uh, I'm getting but more. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> um, 
Uh, she also would call after she had her second mastectomy. She would call herself Washington's only top topless octogenarian because she was eighty at the time. I love her. Um, she she kept a pillow at her tea table that said, "Quote: If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me." Okay. She's like, spill the tea. I just love that. If you can't say something good about someone. Sit right here by me. Like I love that she's Dish like girl. She's like, come tell me all the bad things. Okay, I want to go on a girls' trip with her and just like have a have a bitch session. Also, right. I love that she also had a tea table because that is the kind of table that they organize the first women's convention around, and we affectionately call our table at the studio the tea table. It's also the war room, right? <laughs> um, the she, war womb. She was also known as the other Washington Monument because she lived so fucking long. Yeah, um, way less phallic too. At one point, to Senator Joseph McCarthy. Um, so McCarthy said to her, "Quote: Here's my blind date. I am going to call you Alice." That's what she said. To, he said to her. Responding back to him, she said, quote, Senator McCarthy, you are not going to call me Alice. The truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on my block call me Alice, but you may not. Dude, okay, first of all, McCarthy is a dirty little son of a bitch. Right? He was all behind the red scare, the lavender scare, exactly. all that shit was constant. So I love, that, I love that she's like, you have to call me Mrs. Longworth. But Fuck also you. the idea that these people that I'm sure he perceived to be lower than him, the trash man can call me Alice. Fuck you. Um, I love her. So I have, I have a few, two last, two less or two last anecdotes. Both involve Lyndon B. Johnson because he was, he was notorious for being a playboy too. He was waving his dick yeah, around he was all creepy. over the place. If you so, haven't heard the recording of him talking to his tailor about weird. his inseam, it's it weird. is it's hilarious and like so great for you for having a big dick, but it's weird. The way he, it's not exactly. even that. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, I just, I need a little extra spin, you know, just so you're right. Like, I'm pretty sure that Taylor's going to figure that out. He's so proud. Right. So the first thing she said to Lyndon B. Johnson, or like she said about him, was that she would wear wide brimmed hats in his company so he couldn't kiss her. Because so he, he was notorious for doing that. Yep. The other thing was, is, so Lyndon B. Johnson was, um, this was when he was a senator, not when he was president. But he was well known for having affairs with like women half his age. Yeah. Um, and she once quipped to someone, quote, you can't make a souffle rise twice. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You so that saggy was, old creep. Um, Alice Roosevelt. Goddamn. So like I said, I've heard of her and I knew she had... Um, this really badass reputation sure when she, she was did. young, but hearing everything and just that, I mean, that was so incredible. Also, I really love this idea because she's using these wide brimmed hats to create space between her and right. men that and she doesn't want to be around. People? And that is not, I mean, she, she's taken that strategy from way back because one of the nice things about the, uh, there's a proper, the crinoline. Yep. Yeah, like the birdcage skirt thing was that was men could not get close. Away. Exactly. And then it was lighter so women could actually like run away. And men were so like women are taking up so much fucking space. But I'm going to spread my knees as far as fucking possible. I'm going to do the splits on this subway seat right now. I have time But just that whole idea of you know, women weaponizing fashion to preserve their space and their safety. For I mean, that it's it sucks that. 
that's a sad concept, but I also love that she's like, no, no, I love I'm going to learn from my, like, my grandmothers. I love that just like publicly she was like, yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah. So why do you wear, why are you getting, getting into all these wide brim hats? I'm sorry. Have you seen Lyndon B. Johnson? He's right, like, a he's creep. He's a creep. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag cancel. <laughs> so I know Emily's going to get into sad. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm get a, your wine, bitches. I'm, I'm whining on multiple levels right now. I'm rage whining. I'm sad whining, but I'm also like. I've had enough wine that I'm ready for your rage I'm like whining. rage, rage, fucking rage, but also like. Let's get to work. Right. Let, okay, let's fucking do this. So, I'm sorry if my notes are a little screwy. I okay, love you. I had I had a story ready, and then I was like, wait a minute. And I just, I whipped this shit together very quickly. You should have, like, <laughs> pre-told me, and then I kind of tried to whip some shit together. Here's the thing, fine. Kelly. I whipped it together so quickly. I did tell you. Whip it. In, whip it hard in the in the process of whipping the shits i informed you that is how whip this shit is <laughs> so today i'm whining about the jane collective i don't know who that is but i'm excited i'm excited because like a lot of the women we covered maybe not a lot but like a decent amount of the women we've covered i've at least like seen on some of my other lists mm-hmm and so I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. Whereas like this one, I'm like, I I don't even have, like, I, I only know the, like, context because of what you told me. But I'm yeah. like, other than that, I have no context I, for what this is. I had actually like, never heard of these people. Like when you covered the Arlington ladies, I yes. was like, who the fuck are these people? I'd actually never heard of this. Um, n- normally, like, I'll Google a, a topic or an right. area of interest or even a place in the world. And, like, I'll go through some lists and be like, oh, well, th- this sounds... I, I want to cover this late. This was like, I got deep in the click, like the hyperlink rabbit hole. And then I just, I, I couldn't even tell you how you I got there. Going. It, you know, they found me. <laughs> found me. So we're going to take a trip back to the 1960s Chicago, Illinois. The S is silent, stupid. To visit what has become a horrifyingly apropos the group. S is yes. Stupid. There was actually a shirt at Hot Topic that had the silhouette of Illinois and had the S is silent stupid. And my mom almost bought it for me. And my mom is. I do kind of love that. My mom is probably the most fish out of water person to walk into a Hot Topic. But at Christmas, I would ask for, you know, things from there. And she would walk in with my with my like little list that she she's like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what is my daughter I broken? Love your mother. And she's like. You know, I go to some nice stores and no one is nicer to me than the gals at Hot Topic. They're I was like, so nice. They're, Winona from Hot Topic. I don't know if she's ever going to find this podcast, but she taught me how to do my makeup before, before Katie did just like in March. <laughs> like I, that, that's how I learned party. to do my makeup for a really long time. Anyway, so during this time, abortion was illegal in the majority of the United States. In Illinois, in particular, it was considered felony homicide. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Not even like manslaughter, actual homicide. Felony homicide. Jesus. And this was despite an estimated one third of women reporting they either didn't want more children or didn't want to experience an unintended pregnancy, which personally I think is a pretty conservative estimate. This is probably back when... 
birth control really wasn't an option. Yeah, or you're not educated on it. There, there's so many stories I've read where women who had to get abortions pre-Roe v. Wade are like, no one told me about condoms. No one told me about birth control. No one told me about anything. Like, like these people are having sex and they have no fucking idea yeah. what they're doing, no, which is why it's celibacy, which is why comprehensive sex education, aka not abstinence only, is so important. If you really want to decrease the number of abortions, give people the tools to make sure they like to help them not get pregnant right. unintentionally. Thank you. Anyway, this is just the first of a bunch of soapboxes I'm going to start climbing. Okay, I'll I'll assist. I'll add mine next to yours. So unsurprisingly, despite being illegal. Abortions still happen. Shocking. Whoa. The only difference was that they were secretive, shameful, dangerous, and in some cases, deadly. That's one of my things. My friend was like, oh, you know, this is going to be terrible. And I'm like, here's the thing. Abortions are still going to happen. They're just going to go back to being back alley, super fucking dangerous. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Yeah. It's like, yes, this is going to be terrible. Also for these reasons, like, so the only difference, oh no, I already read that part. So according to PBS, an estimated 200,000 to 1.2 million illegal abortions occurred annually throughout the 1950s and 60s. And I know that's a wide gap. I actually saw that number cited in multiple places, like that range. Yeah, like that's really big. But at the same time, it's like if they're illegal abortions, not everyone's going to be reporting them. I literally say like, just remember these were done on the low low. So statistics were unreliable like this, at best. It's their best guess, guys. Honestly, I would I would think it's it's, it's closer to the 1.2 million. Like probably. it's got to be on the higher end. Um, And I, I just looked this up. Uh, that's also compared to... 600,000 or no 629,898 abortions that were completed in 2019 according to the CDC which that sounds like kind of a a big number but it's only a rate of 11.4 abortions out of every 1,000 live births which is 1.14 percent fun fact Right after Roe v. Wade, the number of abortions did increase for a period of time because they're actually fucking accessible now. Well, not only were they accessible, but people are like, hey, I'm not going to get arrested for fucking tracking this. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like how when, like, for the DSM, for Mm -hmm. psych stuff... When they're like, hey, we found this new diagnosis or, hey, we changed this diagnosis, people panic because they're like, all of a sudden people have this new diagnosis. And it's like, no, we just changed something. So tracking it is significantly easier. Or the idea that like, wow, ADHD and ADD have gone up so much. It's because we're actually acknowledging it's a thing. Where did all these trans people come from? They've always been been here. here, It's just like now they don't have to live in as much fear. But so that is a that is one point one four percent. Not even not enough much. to round it up to one point two. It's one point one percent. So just want to put that into perspective. I was too, yeah. So uh oh, here's my fun fact. Sorry. Ooh, I, like fun I think facts. I repeated. So after Roe v. Wade, the number of abortions did increase for a period of time, but they have steadily fallen since nineteen eighty one. I know. Isn't it crazy how like people having more control over their bodies meant fewer abortions and also comprehensive sex education helps. Right. So because abortions were illegal, they were often completed in unsafe places by doctors or maybe not actual doctors. 
Uh, some primary care providers opted for giving their patients a guide to DIY abortions. They're like, so take the co-hanger or the whatever, whatever. Have someone viciously whatever, punch you in the stomach. Whatever non-sterilized instrument you have in your goddamn house, and here's how you put it inside of your body. And this could result in permanent injury, sterilization, sepsis, hemorrhaging, and death of the patient. Yep. Because here's the thing. If you don't want to bring life into the world now, that doesn't mean you never want to. It's about when. It's about deciding, like, when am I going to actually do this? And if you do choose to never do it, great. That should also be your choice. Yeah, it's none of my goddamn business. And then sometimes the abortion wasn't successful at all. So like women maimed themselves and still had a baby that they didn't Didn't want, want. couldn't afford, or brought like permanent shame on them because they were not married. Let's also remember the social repercussions of a woman getting pregnant. And let's be honest, if that happened- Excuse me, someone getting pregnant. I'm trying to not just put this on women because I understand anyone with a uterus can get pregnant. Exactly. And here's the thing is, you can guarantee, especially the ones that were shamed, it was either they were in an affair with a married man or the man found out the woman was pregnant and was like, fuck this, I'm not dealing with just it. Dipped it and just dipped it potato chip. Yeah. And then a lot of times that woman's going to end up on the street because her family is like, we're not dealing with this. Are we going to hold people with penises and sperm more accountable for child support? Right. Like, let's, if we're going to fucking do this. Right. How about if a man never wants a child, he just gets... A vasectomy. At 18. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, doctors don't ask him, are you sure though? I'm not actually going to do it because I don't think, I don't trust you and your body. There is one state, one state, I can't even remember which state it is, but my husband was telling me about it, that there is one, I think it's state, I think, I don't think it's another country, I think it's state, that requires the same thing that most uh, states require for women. That is, if a man wants his, his a vasectomy, he has to get he has to be married. Jesus Christ! And he has to get permission from his wife. That's so fucked. And I'm like, well, now the men in that state know how it feels to be a fucking woman because in most states, even before this Roe v. Wade overturnment, that's what it was: is you had to be over a certain age. If you were married, your partner had to consent to it. And even then, doctors still might be like, you know, you're still of childbearing years. You might change your mind. Which, here's the thing. That's a great point in, like, how hypocritical this all is and how bullshit. That also sucks, though, because men should also be in control of their bodies. I'm not saying that that state, I'm not saying that that state is doing it right. I'm just letting, I'm just saying that there is a state that does that. Yeah, 100%. So, the lack of access to safe abortions disproportionately affected women of color and those uh, who were low income. Shocking. I know. It's, you know. My mind is blown. It, you, we never run into this where the BIPOC community or low income individuals are disproportionately affected by injustice. That never fucking happens. So New York City alone, which had a significant Puerto Rican population, reported that half of all pregnancy-related deaths in Puerto Rican women were due to botched abortions. Mm. And that is compared to the 25% of pregnancy-related deaths in white women from botched abortions, which is still like, that's one in four versus one in two. Still fucking horrifying, but that really goes to show you the stark contrast. And this is... What are we in, 19... This is the 50s, 60s. Oh, the 50s, 60s. Yeah. 
So if you were wealthy, you could travel abroad for a safe abortion. You know, you could go to the UK, make a whole trip out of it. I fucking would. Also, South of France, and then you just stay there for like two months and then you come back. Also, not being forced to give birth allowed people to pursue their education, careers, and left them better off economically. Really? Yeah, and then they could choose, like, when to have a child and, like, have control over their life. I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's so I'm crazy shocked. how um, being forced to be pregnant and give birth to a child can negatively impact you economically and can also perpetuate a poverty cycle. Especially when you're, like, younger. Because like, yeah. that, that's the big thing is, like, I would love to know the stats on age range of yeah. these people. So this is the world. I, I know I paid a pretty picture, but this is the world that University of Chicago student Heather Booth was living in in 1965, which was two years before de- Colorado decriminalized abortion. I just realized you haven't even gotten to your woman yet. I'm assuming it's Heather it's, Booth. I mean, it's, it's a, she's it's a kind group. of, a, she's a central yeah. figure, but, but I, I just realized I'm like, this whole time has just been you building a picture of what life is like. I'm breaking out the sad paint and just smearing it across the canvas liberally. But yes, so we're talking about Heather Booth. And Heather had grown up with a strong sense of justice and treating other others with dignity and respect. So she she was Jewish and she went to this like liberal temple and they were all like, hey, here's the thing. We treat each other with respect. Also, they instilled in her a sense of responsibility for shaping the world into a better place. Shocking. I Can we do more of that? I would love that. It's like, hey, we're all kind of responsible for, you know, making the world better. So she was a strong supporter of civil rights, recalling an incident all the way back in elementary school. Wow. When a black student was accused of stealing a white student's lunch money. Spoiler alert. The student who thought their lunch money had been stolen, they had put it in their shoe and totally forgot about it. Or maybe intentionally were just like, fuck this, fuck this other One student child, because yeah. I'm racist. So anyway, the white students began attacking the black student and Heather jumped in to defend them. Good. And she recalled, quote, I remember having the feeling that you don't do this to people. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Heather, honey. Thank you for being like, a moral human being. And, and, and I want to, I don't think it can be understated. This is elementary school. Like, I think it takes a lot of us a long time to get to the point where we're like, fuck this bullshit. I'm over it. And in elementary school, she, you know, she's like, absolutely fucking not. Right. She's like, we're going to put a stop to this fucking now. And to put it into context, she was probably in elementary school in like the 40s 50s because it's 1965 and she's in college oh, so yeah, like even probably. at a time where it was more common for that kind of thing to ha- or it was more right i know what you're trying to say normalized yeah, yeah. so um Heather became active in civil rights during the Congress of Racial Equality in high school and organizing the student nonviolent coordinating committee in college So she's doing the damn thing. She's doing all the damn things. However, she hadn't given much thought to the topic of abortion. And probably because it just really wasn't talked about a lot. And the prevailing myth was that like, well, if you had to worry about it, you probably deserved it. It was probably because you're a bad person. Oh my God. Well, we we have to, again, we have to put the onus on, you know, women and or those with uteruses. Like, oh, you did did this to yourself. And there was zero other participation. had sex yeah fuck you 
So it wasn't until college that Heather was confronted with the stark reality that all too many faced. So Heather's friend confided in her that her sister had an unwanted pregnancy and was so devastated. She had no idea what she was going to do to the point where she was contemplating suicide because she just mm. really, she's like, I, I have no options. She's like, yeah, I have no options and it is better to die yep. than shame my family. And myself and ruin my, yeah, exactly. So naturally, Heather thought that this was super fucked up and recalled, quote, in the face of an unjust law, you need to take action to challenge it. She's like, we're not you, doing Heather. this. So Heather wanted to help. And because she had connections in like the civil rights mm-hmm. sphere, she contacted the Medical Committee for Human Rights, which had just been organized the year before to provide medical care for civil rights workers and activists working in Mississippi. So like this is brand new. Like she's... She is on, she's like kind of an influence. She's like, oh, I know. You haven't heard of that yet? Oh my God. (laughs) Let me introduce you. She's like a hipster, but not arrogant. She's like, oh, you haven't heard of this? Let me introduce it to you because it's awesome. So they were able to connect her with civil rights activist and surgeon, Dr. Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard. Another Theodore Roosevelt in the mix. Didn't plan that one. So he, in turn, connected the women with the Friendship Medical Center in Chicago, where Heather's friend's sister was able to get medical help and a safe abortion and, like, not kill herself. Right? So this could have been a total one-off thing and would still be a t- story worth telling. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's amazing. Heather's like, oh, we're not, we're not fucking putting up with this bullshit. Right. But word soon spread about Heather's connections, and she began receiving calls from others who needed safe, accessible abortions. So to protect herself, because again, this is felony homicide, Heather began using the pseudonym Jane. She would take calls in her dorm and connect patients with Dr. Howard, who would perform safe abortions for $500. And according to a telephone survey conducted by Bankrate in January of 2022, 56% of Americans wouldn't be able to cover a $500 emergency. So that that's still a lot of money today. But like, let's remember. I could cover a $500 emergency, but it would, you know, it would stress me out. You're like the 40% of some Americans who would not immediately go into crippling debt. But let's remember, this is $500 in the 60s, yeah. which in today's money is over $4,600. Holy shit. I could not cover a $4,600 emergency. Fuck no. I would be fucked. I would I would have to go to my bank and be like, please give me a loan. Yeah, and do you, it's like, well, what's it for? Um, An emergency. It's an emergency, I'd rather not say, because they're not going to give you shit. So as Heather continued to refer patients, she, she switched to a different abortionist who she referred to using two different names, like Mike or Nick, so we, we don't Mike actually know. Mike or Nick, who knows? Well, and I think that was also on purpose because you oh, want to conceal sure. that person's identity. Uh, so we don't know who it was. So Heather is now averaging one call per week. Jesus. That is, that there's a demand for this because the consequences of having an unwanted pregnancy are severe. Huge. And this isn't just the social implications. This isn't just you're not married. This isn't just it's going to fuck up your education. This is, hey, you have a medical problem and you might die. Hey, yeah, you were, this, you were assaulted. The, it's, it's an ectopic pregnancy or... Yeah. Hey, you're 13 years old and someone assaulted you. Yeah, there and 
I don't want to like really get into the many, many reasons that someone might have an abortion because it's really none of your Any goddamn business. Is fucking valid. But I think it's important to note because there seems to be this prevailing narrative that's like, well, you should have just kept your legs closed. Fuck you. Fuck you. You know, sometimes that's not a choice. Someone makes that choice for you yeah. and it's not okay. Yeah. Rapists get to choose their mothers now. So whatever. Primarily, um, so she's getting these calls primarily from women of color or low-income women because, again, they are disproportionately affected by the effects of an unwanted pregnancy. Hmm. So by 1968, Heather had graduated, married, became pregnant of her own choice, and had a full-time job, meaning she didn't have as much time to dedicate to connecting patients with healthcare. So instead of just stopping which I don't think any of us would have blamed her for. She's always already done more than anyone could Way ask more, for. Yeah. Uh, but that that's not what she's about. She can't stop, won't stop. She's a finisher. She instead recruited and trained 10 other women to help, and the group called themselves the Abortion Counseling Service of Women's Liberation. And they were dedicated to advocating for, quote, every woman having exactly as many children as she wants, when she wants, if how, she like, wants. How she wants. Yeah. Like, such a novel concept. Isn't that great? So that's a really impressive and fancy-sounding name, but it's not very marketable. Uh, So the group fell back on Heather's pseudonym, Jane, and became the Jane Collective. Which I love. It kind of reminded me of... um, are you familiar with the phrase like I'm a friend of Dorothy Yeah, for being like I'm gay like are you a friend of Dorothy like are you cool with LGBTQ plus people it's like are you a friend of Jane you know I I actually really like that I actually I we are friends of Jane I'm I'm going to a protest and I thought about making a sign that said I'm a friend of Jane but I well I'm sorry we um and I thought about making a sign that said, I'm a friend of Jane. But then I all I Googled him like, I need to make sure it doesn't mean anything else. And apparently Jane's friend is also another word for like, you're a woman's vibrator. Well, and like there's Mary Jane, which is weed. Like I feel also, why did Google just respond to I'm a friend of Jane? Because Google is horny as fuck. <laughs> Google like, I'm a friend of Jane, any. bitches. But, you know, just that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that became a thing. It's like, hey, are you a friend of Jane? Where it's like, if you know, you know. Anyway, but yeah, I, I, I thought that was cool. I do like that. So one of the women working with the Jane Collective went by Jenny. And she had found out she was pregnant shortly before being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, yeah. Let's say that's another thing is, did you know pregnancy and uh, cancer and some certain other diseases don't don't mesh well together? Yeah. So she's pregnant and then she finds out she has cancer. And she was worried, understandably so, about what the radiation treatment for the cancer would do to the fetus. Yeah, not good things. So she sought an abortion because she's like... I don't want to fuck that. I don't want to fuck up this feed it like right. that, that, that would be, I would feel so bad about that. Obviously this is not the time for me to have a child because you know, I have cancer. Or like I will, I will have a child when I'm ready. Exactly. Which is not at the time that I have goddamn cancer. Um, using every piece of logic that they could somehow muster. This request is, was denied by the hospital board until Jenny was like, I will fucking kill myself. If I cannot get an abortion, I will kill myself. And then they're like, fine. Which here's the thing about that. Okay. Please don't kill yourself. Well, yeah, please don't. But this is another in, this is another example of where suicide feels like the only alternative. And that is horrifying. 
Yeah, that's. But let, let's think about it this way. Um, pregnant women, it, it's pretty, or pregnant people, it's pretty well known that they should not be exposed to a bunch of radiation. Shocking. Um, it can have a negative effect on the fetus that like is developing a, inside of there's them. There's a reason they cover you with a lead sheet over your uterus. So the the hospital board will not allow her to have an abortion, but they will allow the fetus to be exposed to unsafe amounts of radiation and either terminate anyway or suffer lifelong complications. Yeah, no, that's fine. Tell me how that makes any goddamn sense. Tell me how you have the fetus's best interests in mind makes, when you're going to money. blast it with radiation. Anyway, but they relented. Can she, you tell me and she was Emily are a little angry. She she was she was able to get an abortion. Good. So she recalled, "quote Through that whole experience, there wasn't one woman involved." It was men, the doctors, the hospital board, controlling my reproductive rights and condemning me to death. Because if she doesn't get the radiation and tries to carry the pregnancy a full term, she's going to die. Right. She might even die before she can give birth. And also, she shouldn't have to die in the first place. Thank you. So, yeah. And and again, we're trying to avoid you know like equating this with like strictly a woman's rights issue and that kind of thing um so these quotes at the time it's, it's, it's very uterine rights issue. it's it's a very like um binary like gender binary you, look like, at you have, it you have to realize when these quotes are coming from yeah so and and also i i know i'm slipping up i hear it and i'm trying to correct myself in the moment i'm doing my best I'm sure everyone appreciates it. So Jenny would ultimately become a nurse and assist in performing abortions because she's a bad bitch. And Fuck she's yeah, like, Jenny. I don't want anyone else to have to go through that bullshit. Right, what a like, nightmare. I want there to be a woman by your side because going through this alone was, or like, a woman, someone with a uterus. I want there yes. to be someone with a uterus by my side because going through this with people who don't understand what's going on is a fucking nightmare. And not having access, period. Yeah. So because the Jane Collective was helping people obtain health care that was illegal, they couldn't just like hand out business cards, put it on billboards, make a Facebook page. Other than by word of mouth, which is actually incredibly successful, as we saw from Heather helping one one woman out and then suddenly getting inundated with calls. They spread awareness by posting signs throughout Chicago that read pregnant, don't want to be, call Jane with the phone number and took out ads in underground press. So like covert, like "Mm, if you know, you know, press pregnant, worried, call Jane with the phone number. I love that. So callers would be met with an answering machine and told to leave their name, phone number and the date of their last period, because they also have to kind of gauge like, okay, how far along might you be? Because that's going to affect what happens. I mean, that's understandable. Yep. So members of the collective would then reach out to the callers and discuss the procedure and schedule to meet. Word also spread about the Jane Collective through what some might find a surprising source, legit fucking medical professionals. (gasps) Including like people's doctors, because doctors and nurses who couldn't or wouldn't help their patients would pass them off to the secretive collective that they knew nothing about instead. (laughs) And here's the thing. I'm glad they at least gave people the like resources like, hey, I can't help you either because I won't or I I legit can't. I legitimately can't. Like I'll lose my license. Here, like here's another avenue for you to explore, but also the fact that 
actual fucking medical professionals have to be like, well, through the grapevine, I heard about this like collective that's like seems to be doing all right. That's horrifying. Sketch. Fortunately for the patients, the Jane Collective was pretty on top of their shit. So once the procedure was scheduled, the patient would be given the address to one of the apartments that the collective rented called The Front. There they would meet a collective member who would then take them to a second location where the procedure would actually be performed. This is incredibly convoluted. If the first location was raided, it's fine. The doctor that's doing the the thing they're not is not getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a way of like, okay, say they discover the addresses of these apartments. There's nothing they can do with that information. Exactly. So you may be wondering how it is that the Jane Collective was operating without getting nailed by the police for committing what they asserted was felony homicide. Well, it's not that the cops didn't know about what was going on because they deaf did but rather that they ignored it consciously. Good. So members of their own families needed health care, and police women were patients. Additionally, the Jane Collective made the cops' lives so much easier. Back alley abortionists would leave behind corpses of dead patients, bleeding bodies to deal with, and more. Like, I mean, they were, they were like butchers. And so many of them were opportunists that were just looking for someone's money and then they didn't care what happened to the patient because they got the money and fuck them. So one of the members recalled that, quote, neither the Chicago police nor the outfit, which is what they call the mafia, had previously bothered us, though each knew of our work. We were clean, damn good, and made too little money to interest them. They were like, hey, you're, you're not bothering anyone. And in fact, you're making all of our lives easier and helping us personally. So go off. All right. You're like, you're, you're fine. Yeah. We're okay with this. Another, uh, another noted that, quote, unlike other illegal abortionists, Jane did not leave bleeding bodies in motels for the police to deal with. That's a horrifying vision. But yeah, the cop, here's the thing. The cops don't want to deal with that. Ooh. So like I mentioned before, $500 today is a lot of money. And I'm sure it was a crap ton of money back then. And it prevented people from gaining access to health care. The collective raised money to help low-income patients afford abortions because they're like, hey, we, we got this. So then the Jane Collective was dealt a serious blow. Oh, no. They learned that the abortionist that they had been working with, Mike Nick, who the fuck ever. Mike Nick was not actually a doctor. <gasps> I know he had lied about his credentials. This devastated many of the members who felt that they were no better than the shady back alley abortionist. Right, you're like I'm trying to do the right thing. And we found out we've been conned by this guy who we have led people to to get this procedure. I would also I'd be like oh, yeah, I'm fucking too. out. I'm f- like this You'd be like, this I'm is so fucked. sorry. Yeah. So a lot of a, a lot of people left the organization entirely. However, it couldn't be ignored that the not really a doctor had successfully performed hundreds of procedures without issue. So the remaining members thought, well, if this jackass can do it, why couldn't they? Jenny, who had become a trained nurse and aided with abortions taught the other members how to perform the procedure and the Jane Collective became their own in-house healthcare provider. Fuck yeah. That blows my mind. And it's even easier nowadays because there's just, if it's early enough, 
you can just take a pill. Right. You don't have to have any medical know-how. I was know actually how. reading an article earlier today, yeah, that online abortion pills, the, the sales for them, just in the, what, like, week since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, have skyrocketed. Because people are yeah. like, I want to get this now before they outlaw this too. Yeah, and I just, I also want to say, be very careful with that because, again, there are a lot of opportunistic mm-hmm. shysters out there and the last thing I want is for anyone to put anything into their body or someone else's body that's going to hurt them. It's like but you, like you hear about the diet pills that are really just a tapeworm. Oh god. I'm not even done with my wine, Kelly. Why you got to why you got to come at me like that? I've had too much wine. It's All fine. right, I'm going to drown going. the tapeworm. It's fine. Drown. Hold on. Exactly. They can't survive. Yeah, I drink too much wine for a tapeworm to survive in me. I can barely survive in me. Just don't take diet pills, Emily. You're fine. So anyway, this sucked. And I would feel so fucking awful. But now that they were trained in doing this procedure, it had the added benefit of allowing them to reduce the cost of abortions from $500 to $100. Oh, shit. Which is still a lot of money. But but it's much more accessible. Holy fuck. So that being said, they take whatever pa- a patient could pay. If the patient was like, I, I, I th- this is all I have. They'd be like, right. don't worry about it. We got you. So they would use any minuscule profits to provide additional health care procedures like pap smears. Oh, yeah. Yeah, preventative care for your vagine. So they're becoming, or. They're like a women's health clinic at this yeah, point or a vaginal right. health clinic at this point. So they were able to actually work with a laboratory that would process the pap smear test results for $4 a pop. Wow. Which again, Thank like that's what any profits they're making right. are going into is like, okay, they're what more can we do? What like Planned Parenthood is today? Yeah, except the funny thing is, I would argue they were more abortion centric, while abortions are yep. a minority yeah. part of what Planned Parenthood they clinics are offered provide. At Planned Parenthoods, but some they of them, are, yeah, in yeah. states that allow it. Um, and that, that was actually something I, I learned because, you know, when all this first started going down, I immediately donated to the local Planned Parenthood. But something I was reading was like, you know, that's a very small part of what they're doing, which is why I started looking outside of them mm-hmm. for n- not saying they don't do great work and they don't provide amazing health care. But you're looking but for I'm, something that's abortion centered. And na- yeah, and national. Sa- exactly. Safely. Yes. Safe abortion centered. Yeah. So, yeah, like if... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying don't donate to Planned Parenthood, but also it's a very minuscule part of right, what exactly. they actually provide. So anyway, as I mentioned before, the majority of the calls that Heather had gotten were from women of color. That and yeah, that hadn't changed women. because the, this They're organization still is around. Destitute, well, this organization is only around for seven seven years. This shit don't change that fast. So, in fact, once they were able to lower the cost, the number of black patients increased because systemic racism and poverty go hand in hand. Fix that shit. So one patient named Lois wasn't super thrilled to see a bunch of middle class white women running the show. Understandably. So so. At the time, abortion was described by some in the black community as, quote unquote, black genocide and there were racial and economic issues at play that white these white middle class women who were running the Jane Collective just like couldn't relate to. Also, it ne- I didn't get into it. It needs to be acknowledged that a lot of vaginal health care, birth control has been developed 
on the bodies of black women. Yeah. And it's been painful and really awful. So there's, and here's the other thing. When we're looking back at those statistics from just the Puerto Rican women in New York City and how they have a significantly higher death rate, I'm sure that translates to black patients and I can't. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to yawn because no, 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 I'm no. bored. I'm, I've had too much wine. No, I understand. But I just want to point out, like, yeah, it probably transfers this makes to all a lot biopic, of poor people of the time. Yeah, exactly. And it there's mistrust. There's oh my God, fear. We, there's a lot of shit going on. To briefly get completely off topic, we recently <laughs> did a section in my multicultural class on studies using biopic people where they didn't know what was going on and the reason they have mistrust of psychological services. Oh, yeah, the Tuskegee-Syphilis bullshit. They did that, and then during that, they did another one, which was basically the same thing somewhere else. I can't remember where right now, but I'm like, oh, my God. They tested (laughs) early birth control on impoverished South American women who then became sterile and we're like, why can't I have a fucking baby? Yeah. Like I, I do not blame biopic communities for having a fear of mental health or medical Western medical treatments. Yeah. I do not blame them at all. Honestly, if yeah, no. And, and then the immigrant community, like if I went to another country and the majority was telling me do this and I was like, I don't fucking like, know mm. about that. I probably just wouldn't do it. No, I, I, I get it. So I just want to, I just want to point it out. Sorry, Lois isn't like being a bitch here. She has very valid concerns. And also she's like, right. you, you all have no idea. I'm agreeing. With you me. have no idea. Um, but yeah, so, we, so even now, women of color have a higher maternal mortality rate than white women, even when accounting for socioeconomic factors. Wow. So that's actually that. getting the uh, the maternal mortality rate in the United States is actually steadily getting worse. And then again, because God damn it, that disproportionately affects mothers of color. So right. biopic and poor communities. Yep. So Lois told them. You guys are the white angels that are going to save everybody, and where are the black women at? Well, Lois answered her own question and stepped up she's and like, right joined fucking the here. fucking collective. Because she's not here to just be like, fuck you. She's like, I'm going to fix it. So she provided counseling to black patients. And that must have been so comforting you know like you you constantly feel kind of like out of place you feel like you can't really trust what's going on you're already terrified and then you have someone who you feel like you identify with who's been through what you've been through is come from where you've come from being like hey I've got you the comfort that must have given patients I can't even begin to describe it but I just love that Lois wasn't just like hey you can do better I'm going to help you do better. <laughs> Let's right, do she this. Like stepped up. Lois is one of the real ones, and I fucking love her. So in 1972, two Catholic women filed a police report stating that their sister-in-law was planning on having an abortion. As a Catholic race, woman, shame on them. My, my first thought was like, the f- it's always the fucking Catholics. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm a confirmed Catholic. Same. 
Catholic girl gone bad. So the police investigated and showed up at one of the Jane Collective's apartments and found seven members. The police asked them where the doctor was, noticing the complete absence of a man in the room. Oh my God, there's no (laughs) penis. What? It can't be one of you. And when they realized the doctor was the boy's mother all along, they arrested the seven women and charged them with 11 counts of abortion and conspiracy to commit abortion. Because again, abortion is a crime or considered a crime at this time. So it's commit, not perform, because it's a goddamn medical procedure. Anyway, each count came with a one to 10 year sentence if they were found guilty, which are total 110 years for each woman. So this was bad. And I just want to point out, this is the kind of risk the members of the Jane Collective were taking. They were going to lose their lives for, for helping other people take control of theirs. So as the women who became known as the Abortion Seven, super clever title, were loaded into the police van, they took the index cards with patient information that they had, ripped off the names and contact info, and ate the bits of paper to protect their patients. And this reminded me of Iria Sendler, who like hid yeah. the names of the children in jars to like, cause she needed to keep a record, but she also she needed to protect them and she like buried yeah. them. I, yeah, like even they're, be, they're being arrested and that must've been horrifying. They're like, and they're like, the we can't, we can't let these patients suffer. We can't let them be found out. So despite being arrested for what was considered felony homicide, the cops were super nice. To the white middle class women. One of the women arrested, uh, Jean Galitzer Levy, recalled, there were all kinds of class issues and race things going on with the police. They felt more like us than the women they were supposedly protecting from us. And they kind of wanted that relationship. So that was bizarre. Just bizarre. She's like, they're treating us better than the women or excuse me, the patients that they're supposedly protecting from, like we're the criminals and the people they're protecting, they treat like shit. Yeah. What the fuck? She's like, that's messed up, man. (laughs) So they were released on bail again, despite having allegedly committed felony (gasps) homicide because the cops super don't give a shit about this. And uh, their case was taken up by attorney Joanne Wolfson. And, I, I don't think I included this, but I remember from my research, Joanne was like, I think this is really important for a woman to represent this because the the defendants are women and this is an issue that is predominantly, especially at this time, affecting women. Again, yep. anyone with a uterus, uterus. but at, at the, the time, time that was that was the perception. So her strategy was to delay the court proceedings as long as possible. And this was not in the hopes that everyone would just get tired and forget about it or run out of money like some people do, but rather because the Supreme Court was deciding on a little case called Roe v. Wade at the time. Ever heard of it? Maybe you've heard of it recently because we're screaming about it. fucking rage. Uh, So the outcome of that case could ensure that the charges were dismissed entirely or at least allow the women to get a good plea deal. It's like, hey, the Supreme Court said that what they're doing is constitutional, so you really don't have a leg to stand on. I know someone else that was, it was a DUI charge, but like there was like a dispute about, 
I don't remember if it was like the percentage or something. And yeah, they waited like two years because there was something else at the Supreme Court that they were like, we're just going to withhold. We're going to withhold your court case until this other court case resolves. Are we recording right now? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, wait, no. We have 12 minutes left. Oh, okay. I'm I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Sorry. I saw the error message on the... I was like, it's, you've got to be no, fucking it, it was, kidding uh, me. It was a, hey, you have 12 minutes left. Okay. Well, I'm almost done. Thank God. Because this is a bummer. Oh. So, well, I mean, the, the whole story I mean, in general. Yay. It's tough overturned boo so so that year roe v wade struck down many of the abortion restrictions and the charges against the abortion seven were entirely dropped so there's like oh fuck we can't get you on anything now so with abortion legalized the jane collective felt that their work had been done and they disbanded a lot of the members were also super burnt out because risking the rest of your natural life to prison is horrifying you know that's a little bit stressful and you're you're taking care of patients who are dealing with their own trauma their own like that's it's a lot i can't imagine so when the first legal abortion clinics were opened in chicago the members had a quote end of jane party Mm. i love them so much so legacy during their seven year run, the Jane collective performed approximately 11,000 abortions with no abortion related deaths. Wow. Not a goddamn one out of 11,000, especially considering Mike Nick was not actually a fucking doctor. In fact, one obstetrician who actually did follow-ups with the Jane collective patients compared their success rate with legal clinics in New York. Like, they were doing just as good of work. Wow. Heather Booth, the original Jane, is still kicking ass at 76 years young. Fuck She continues yeah. her civil rights act and feminist activism, and I bet she is pretty fucking livid right now. Oh, I'm, Heather, I can't even imagine. honey, I am also livid. Me too. Let's burn this shit down. So there have been films based on the Jane Collective, including... And all these names, it's like they're really struggling to come up with something creative. The Janes. Call Jane. Ask for Jane. This is Jane. And then the 1995 documentary, Jane, an abortion service. (laughs) Yep. Wow. So until recently, the Jane Collective and the healthcare they provided could be thought of as a relic from a darker, more oppressive time. However, with the 2022 U.S. Supreme Court ruling on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which overruled Roe v. Wade, they're looking a little more like an early predecessor of things to come. And also, I like, to think, I like to think an inspiration because even in oppressive conditions, positive change can be made and right. positive action can be taken. As long as you don't sit down. And let people run all over you. Shit can get done. And we can make a difference. And that is the story of the Jane Collective. Thank you! I okay. actually really like that. That was beautiful. I, I'm like, why have I never heard of this? Which, again, is the whole point of this podcast, so I shouldn't be surprised I haven't heard of any of the shit I've been researching. Um, so I know that the recording is almost, like, the data on the disc is almost about to run out. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? 
You have no time. Just say something. Just say something. I'm thankful for all of our supporters and people sending us stuff and sending us messages and just being there. You're all amazing and I love you. Um, I am really thankful to Kelly because I had a pretty stressful encounter with two separate Walmart creeps within 10 minutes of each other. And it was very upsetting. And I texted Kelly. I'm like, can I call you? Cause I just feel like I need to talk. And I call her and I'm like, so first of all, I'm okay. But I'm just really upset. Yeah, she's like crying and I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah, no, it was, it, it was one of those things where I was very fortunate to be able to lean on one of my besties. Always. Um, but yeah, no, that that was great. And also just seeing the the swell of support for, you know, bodily autonomy and rights to make our own decisions because, you know, some of us now have fewer rights than a fucking corpse. So let's let sad. that sink in right now. Um, I mean, it, it feels like there's not a lot to be thankful for right now. So it's important to find the little things to be thankful for. And then if you're feeling out of control, if you're feeling despair, Okay, what what can I do to make reach out some to kind someone. of positive? Well, reach out to someone and what can I do to make some kind of positive impact? What can I do to feel like I'm doing something to help? And then do that thing, which could do all include buying our new pro-choice merch. We have four designs at this time, and they are in our shop, which you can access at whinyaboutherstory.com. And throughout the month of July, 100% of the proceeds from those designs will be donated to the National Network of Abortion Funds, uh, which is an existing, well-established nonprofit that has the infrastructure to make na- a national impact. Also, if, you just want, if, if you're like, I don't need your fucking merch, if you want to donate directly to them, you can visit them Please at do. abortionfunds.org. I'm not here to be like buy our shit. I'm like, we're, we're just trying to do something to help. We're trying right. to do anything that we can right now with our very limited sphere of influence. So please like us on Facebook at whining about herstory, Instagram at W a H pad, Twitter at W a H underscore pod. Our website is whining about herstory as Emily mentioned, where you can find a link to our merch and our Patreon, where you can donate for as little as $1 a month and get some bonus content. We just published our Q and a and it gets weird. There's it aliens does. and it pillow combinations. There, there gets to be some real talk and some, what the fuck are you talking about? Talk. Also, raise five stars wherever you listen, especially if we get backlash for being pro-choice because that's a thing that happens. Review bombing is bullshit. And we love you. We love you. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day and never stop fucking fighting. Bye. Bye. Everyone loves someone who had an abortion. Fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy.